Scripture scholars tell us that this description of the ordering of family life in this passage is a type of household code that was common in the Greek world of the time, when viewed with Greek culture as it was the ancient world. These codes in which the respective duties of various members of the family and society were laid out. Christianity, of course, grew up in Judaism, or sprang out of Judaism, but grew up in the world of Greek culture and language, and so had to find a way to live the faith within the context of that culture and its concepts, the culture in which it found itself, as the Church has in every age ever since. That's what this reading does for us. So the Christians received from Judaism this ethic of honoring parents who heard about in Syria. That is the cornerstone of all social ethics. And then it teaches that in a format that was familiar to the people of that time and place. So Colossians explains this code of family relationships, but in a particularly Christian way. Notice all of the characteristic virtues that are listed there. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness, love as divine perfection, peace, thankfulness, prayer. It's also important to note, right before this passage, it's not a part of the reading, but in Colossians, right before this passage, St. Paul speaks about the vices that the Christians must put off. The opposite. Put off the old self. And you must know those vices. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, the greed that is idolatry, disobedience, anger, fury, malice, slander, and obscene language. To put off those vices, we have the two key ingredients in the virtues that exists the life of virtue and prayer. It's not possible really to live with Christian virtue without without prayer. It would be a very superficial kind of Christian life at best. Now some might feel instinctually some resistance to what some of what St. Paul says here. Now this is a rather rarefied crowd, so I didn't notice the usual squirming and elbow nudging and usual thing about in the passage of that, wives be supported into your husbands as is proper to the Lord. And in addition, we had a great elucidation on the corresponding passage in the passage of Ephesians from Dr. O'Donnell in this talk earlier this morning. But you know what it is like for a lot of people? Same idea. This is passe, antiquated, and we should just basically ignore it because we have new insights and new social developments. And is that really the honest Christian approach to any scripture passage that makes us feel uncomfortable? It's a very dangerous one, because in the end, scripture loses its authority. We can say that about any passage of scripture that we find challenging. And so we can end up believing anything that we want. And we just ignore the challenge to conversion, to growth in faith, to a deeper understanding of God's revelation. Rather, the response of the true disciple is to seek to understand more deeply the meaning of such a passage and to allow oneself to be challenged by the scriptures. So we have to understand this passage in its entire context. It is really a code of mutual responsibilities. Likewise in Ephesians, same idea. It is especially a call of husbands and fathers to love their families in a Christian way. The way of Christ to lay down his life for the church. 
Husbands, love your wives and avoid any bitterness toward them. That would have been a challenge to the culture of that time. But the point here is that this life of virtual mutual responsibility is for everyone in the family. And it all begins with humility. Humility is the first virtue that opens the door to all of the others. The last virtue which he lists, that of prayer, prayer is what makes it possible. The old cliche is true. It's never antiquated. It's, in, it's a timeless truth that the family that prays together stays together. More than anything, that is the hallmark of the Christian family. And it is the one practice that will animate them to excel in the Christian way. But it all really comes down to is what St. Paul says at the beginning of this passage. Put on, and it's God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, etc. Put on. This is an allusion to the baptismal ritual, which the newly baptized emerged from the font and put on the white garment, where St. Paul says elsewhere is the putting on of Christ. They need to first put off, as he says in Colossians, first put off the old self, the filthy clothes contaminated by sin, to bathe, be cleansed in the blood of Christ, and then to put on the white garments, signifying putting on the virtue of Christ, the freshness of Christ. This is basically a call to live out our baptismal vocation. The Christian family who does so will look different. We profess to be Christians. Our family life must look different from those who do not have faith. And we do so precisely because we live according to this high call of this uh, a virtue and mutual responsibility of which St. Paul speaks. The family really is the privileged primary place where the Christian disciples lives out their call to holiness, to serve God, to grow in virtue. Living out the meaning of our baptism in very concrete ways. That is, our call to eternal salvation is not just an abstract idea. The call to work out our salvation, grow in holiness, must be brought down into the concrete circumstances of our day-to-day life. The family is the privileged place in which that happens, and you can't really escape it in family life. That is how we attain our salvation. The true disciple will always allow himself to be challenged by Scripture, challenged to be all that he is called to be in virtue of his baptism. Living out the baptismal call in practical ways, in the immediate concrete circumstances of daily life, which for the vast majority of people means, first and foremost, their family life. In the Gospel, which also is for the Feast of the Holy Family in year A from St. Matthew's Gospel, we hear about St. Joseph, who was docile to the voice of God, responding to the Lord who was leading him where he had to go in order to, to fulfill God's will, not just for him and his family, but indeed for the salvation of the world. St. Joseph was attentive, discerning, perhaps because he was so silent, he was able to listen so deeply. And he obeyed the voice of the Lord 
with great courage and trust. May we do the same in order to fulfill God's will for us, so that filled with the virtue of Christ, the peace of Christ may control our hearts. And whatever we do, in word or in deed, we may do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him.